the T at the end of well. Well, last Monday marked the beginning of our Live Simply, and I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to any of you. I hope you're not like nudging each other going, man, I knew I was forgetting something. That, that was it. That was it. Um, uh, it is, it, let me just kind of give you an idea. This is in essence what we do, and please don't be offended by this. Uh, we're, we're not... We're not scared of this or, or ashamed of this, but in essence, what we're doing, if you don't know, our, our church is, is trying to live as simply as they possibly can uh, financially um, to only use money on what is absolutely necessary so that for the end of uh, the month, we're going to give it all to missions, uh, everything that's left over to missions. And uh, we're excited about that. You know, for some people, uh, this is the first time uh, you're new to celebration. This is the first time that you're participating in this and you're a little bit nervous about it. Uh, You're wondering, how can I go that long without ice cream or whatever it is? You'll make it. Don't worry. Uh, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in your life and through you through this. Now, some of you, this is just kind of, you know, this is just kind of old school, man. This is, hey, I've been doing this for four years. We've done it for four years, fourth year that we've done the Live Simply campaign. And uh, you guys know that God works in our lives during these times. He speaks to us loudly, and he certainly not only works in us, but he works through us as well. I'm excited about that factor. I, I think the best way to begin this month, and before um, you know, my brother and sister come and begin to teach next week, and as we're trying to make it through this week, uh, we need to really be able to answer the question from the get-go, why are we doing this, right? Uh, some of you, your parent, your kids might be like that, why, why, whoa, what? Why are we doing this? And maybe you're asking that, why are we doing this? I mean, why in the world would we give up things that we like so much, right? I mean, why would we freely give up Tasty's double cheeseburgers, why would we willfully give up five guys double cheeseburgers? I could keep going, but it would all be about a double cheeseburger. You're seeing a theme kind of working here. Why would we give up things that, that really are not inherently evil? They're not wrong per se in, in, in any way. Um, but the truth of the matter is they're good. They kind of make our life nice. And uh, I wouldn't say worth living. Hopefully it hasn't come to that, but are really nice. And, and then here's the other thing is the other half is why would we give all that up to free up money to give to people A, that we just don't know and who don't know us. And the truth of the matter is some people who don't want to know us and and in all actuality for people who could care less about us and even hate us. Why in the world would you live simply so that others might simply live? I think there's a lot of different reasons and I think that a lot of these are subtle but we just need to kind of navigate our course and make sure that we're on the course of Christ. And so let me give you a couple motivations I think that some people might have. They might be doing it this month out of trying to gain some kind of favor after, uh, from God, uh, saying, hey, listen, you know, I haven't done anything for you, God, in a little while, so I'm going to take the whole month, do something for you, you know, really impress you. Uh, maybe I'll do something, maybe a little do something for me a little bit down the line, you know, that type of thing. But when we read the Bible, we find that the truth is, biblically and theologically, it is an impossibility to be able to gain the favor of God. The only way to, be, to get the favor of God is for it to be given, and it has already been given through the completed work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't have to work for his favor because we've already been given his favor. There's a second reason why we might be doing this. And, and, and you know, on, on the surface, we'd say, no, we would never do this. But there is a part that we love to boast in self. 
We love to be able to sit there like the scribes and the Pharisees, especially the Pharisees where they kind of disheveled their hair. And if I had more, I could do that. But uh, disheveled their hair and, and, and look kind of peaked and not eat and whiten our faces so that people would come along and go, so man, what's up? Why only peanut butter for, you know, for lunch? Why aren't you going out? Why aren't you doing whatever? And, and then we sit there and say, well, brother, let me, let me tell you. Let me sit down first. I don't really have the energy. Let me, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm living simply so that... Others just might simply live. And, and there's a part of us, if we're not careful, we'll sit there and have people just sit there and go, oh, that's so wonderful, that's so great, that's so big of you, and pat us on the back and for us to pat ourselves on the back. It's not the motivation we ought to have. You know, Paul would say, and I hope that we would stand with him in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, when he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we're, going to, if we're going to boast, let's boast in Christ. I think there's another motivation, and that would be out of guilt. Last week, we kind of had these people kind of come in and talk about the Baptist Children's Home and, and the, the Women's Center and all these things. Of course, we've been talking about Ethiopia and all these other needs. And, and it would be very easy to get wrapped up and go, hey, you know, I've been given so much. I kind of feel guilty just a little bit about this whole thing. You know, I mean, you know, I've been buying boats and RVs and all these kind of things. Surely I could do something for the little people, kind of feeling kind of bad. Listen, there's no guilt here. My intention whatsoever is to place any kind of guilt or to try to get guilt that you don't want to give, don't give, don't want to participate, don't participate. That's fine. There's, there's nothing there. And for the child of God, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if we feel guilty, the only guilt that we should feel is if the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us and we would want to repent on that. But, but guilt is not the primary motivation of why we would do live simply. Here's another one, is, and this is a little bit higher up the ranks, is compassion for mankind. Okay, Pastor Mike, I understand why we're doing this, man. My heart was stirred when we thought about all these children dying. I can't just sit back. I've got to do something. Those poor children. What about the children that don't have homes of, of no fault of their own? What about those in Ethiopia that, that, that are, are, don't have food, don't have a hot meal e- each week? Or about, what about that? We've got to do something for that. And I think we have to be very careful and understand that even compassion, as lofty as it might be, it falls short of the ultimate purpose and drive of why we are doing what we are ultimately doing to be able to eliminate human suffering. Now, I know some of you are very bright, very bright people, much brighter than I, and some of you are sitting back and going, listen, I already know why we're doing this. We're doing this for missions. We're doing this for missions. We're doing it to propagate the gospel around the world so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ and to escape the coming wrath of God and to come to know Jesus. And what I would say is, We're getting warmer. We're getting warmer. The truth of the matter is, is the ultimate, ultimate motivation of why we would do what we would do in one word is worship. Not only is an act of worship on our parts for our God, but we are also motivated for the fact of worship because there are people around the world who are not worshiping the only one in true God who is deserving of all honor and praise and glory. That's the motivation. That is what does not set well in the heart of every true born-again believer. I think John Piper, as he almost always does in his very well-known book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he states it like this. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. 
It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. In other words, missions is not the end into itself. We're not going to collect this offering, give it, and then send it off into all the different missions, uh, you know, agencies, and then sit there and go, yes, we accomplished our goal, because it's not our ultimate goal. It's a means to an end, not an end into itself. The end into itself is that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people group around the world will come to faith and worship God and ascribe worth to him as God has so desires for us to do. Now, I think that there's one thing that we need to be able to clarify, and that is why in the world then would we do it for that reason? You see, this is kind of like what your kid does. They come up and ask you, so dad, why are there stars outside, right? And you sit there and say, because God placed them there. Well, why did God place them there for his glory? And then why, you know, so we're going to do the why thing all day because you keep saying, well, why, 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 why? Well, if we're to, why are we doing what we're doing? Well, for worship, for glory of God. And then we sit back and then we ask the question, okay, do it for the glory of God, but why for the glory of God? Here's the answer to that. Because it's always about the glory of God. It's always been about the glory of God. Isaiah says the very reason that this whole world exists and the very reason that you and I exist and every man who's ever lived exists, man, woman, and child that ever exists, is because his glory, for his glory. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7, God speaking through the prophet says this, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created, now note this, for what? For my glory, for my glory, whom I formed and made. You're looking for reason. You're looking for purpose. It's because God created you for his glory, to worship him in all things. Now, we see how that works when we begin to peruse Genesis in the creation account. In Genesis chapter 1, he tells us that he had created man and woman both in his image. Now, what that means, and you guys know this, we've gone over this before, what that means is that there are certain attributes that God has shared with us so that as we live, we, we live out a reflection of who God is. And so God says, okay, reflect amongst the whole world who I am, and when we do, I'll be glorified through that. But there's another part to that. He, he says how this is all going to work in, in Genesis 1, 28. It says, God commands them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So catch this, and our church is particularly good for part of this. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Celebration, we got that one. Okay, to have children, all right, have more children that are created in the image of God. We got no problem with that. Children everywhere, amen? And it's a good thing, amen? Okay, come on. All right, yeah, they're good. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. And so God says, hey, listen, have all of these little image bearers, but don't just kind of bring them around. Joyce, this is for you and Tom, all right? Don't just sit there. You want to just hoard them all. Spread them out. Spread them out. Push them. To the other most parts of the world. Now, I know some of you want to do that with your kids, but it's because your heart is evil and wicked, not for the right reason. He says, send them out, and when they send out, here's what they're going to do. They're going to take these natural resources in which I've given them, see that tree, see all these kind of things, and they're going to work them in such a way that they're going to unpack the hidden potential of each of these things for the glory of God and all that they do. So get this. So here's God's plan. Create man to glorify him. Man is going to cover the entire world. And people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are all going to be worshiping, glorifying God in unison. So literally all of creation is declaring his glory and giving him praise. It's God's plan. It's God's 
what he ultimately intended for this world. Now, we've got to kind of unpack this just very quickly. What do we mean by glorify God? We use that all the time. Let's just glorify God. Okay, what does that mean? I have no idea. We do it all for the glory of God. What does that mean? Very simply, this is what to glorify God means. Very simply, it means to value God above all things. Not just to say it, but from the heart that God is more valuable than anyone and God is more valuable to me than anything. I cherish him above all else. Heaven, with everything that heaven has to give, golden, golden gates and, and or pearly gates and golden streets and, and, and loved ones that I've seen before, all that's great. But if there is no Jesus, then it is no heaven. Jesus is my great reward. Jesus is what I'm looking forward to, to spend my time worshiping him for all eternity. He's above all things. That's, that's what it is. And so when we say that, that Adam and Eve were righteous, they were made righteous, what it means is that they, they had the ability to discern what is, what is ultimately valuable. They were able to discern what is most valuable. They understood that God, the creator, was more, was more valuable than the creation. So they weren't worshiping the creation. They were worshiping the creator until they sinned And that flips. Those who are righteous now become unrighteous. Unrighteous simply means that we are now incapable of discerning what is ultimately valuable. So now they find themselves as ultimately valuable over an infinitely great God. Are you you tracking with me? And so now what they begin to do, all that is ultimately changed. And so what we find is, we find that, that Paul preaches on this, teaches on this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 through 23, because here's the deal. We are in the same bloodline as Adam and Eve. They fell, we fell. There in the word of God says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Before God's saving grace, none of us can ultimately determine what is infinitely valuable. And this is how Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or, take, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now notice this. Here's the exchange. They exchanged the glory of God. They exchanged the infinite worth of God with what? What did they now Adore more than God. What did they now see more valuable as God? And he says, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they now, because of their darkened hearts, now saw the creation as greater than the creator. This is sin. This is rebellion. This is going against the very purpose in which God has created every single one of us. And we are all guilty of it. Every, every one of us is guilty of this. And so what we find is throughout the world, it's packed with people who are worshiping other things. What are they worshiping? He says images of men. They're fish, birds, animals, RVs, SUVs, ATVs, TVs. I'm out of Vs, but all kinds of Vs. People are worshiping these things they're working, listen, now, now follow me. They're worshiping their occupations, worshiping sports teams, worshiping movie stars who curse God with their own lips. They worship money and they worship self above all things. This is, this is, this is, where, this is the state of the world. So here's the idea. I don't want you to think that the whole world is devoid of worship. The whole world is filled with worship. 
We were created to worship. We can't help but to worship. We're going to worship something or someone. The problem is what the world is lacking is worship for the one who deserves all worship. And who deserves to be valued above, where there's, where there's failure to value what is infinitely valuable, God. That's what is missing. And for those who have tasted the grace of God and by his mercy come to faith in Jesus Christ and been born again and become a child of God, adopted as child of, of God, guess what? There's something that doesn't settle well with us in our hearts about that. That there is any bit of worship and glory that's not going to him, there's a part of that that makes me restless. It makes every child of God restless. So how in the world, what, what, what can we possibly do? How in the world do you take somebody who is not a God worshiper, who is a idol worshiper, worshiping the creation, how do, you, how do they become a God worshiper? In a way that you probably would have never imagined. In a way that really seems very foolish. We don't do it through military might. We don't do it through like the old ancient crusades where we take swords or, or, or some kind of Christian jihad where we come to people and say, either believe and worship my God or die. We don't do it through that force. What do you do it through? Check this out. You're converted through a story. A story. That would be the weapon. That would be the mode. That we would tell a story, a message, the good news of Jesus Christ, and people then would be conformed back to God's original purpose. This is, and you sit back and go, a message or a word? How can that be very powerful? Well, we know from beginning to end of Genesis to Revelation, we understand that the whole gospel, the whole word of God is demonstrated in the word of God. The whole, God's whole redemptive plan is from Genesis to the book of Revelation. Therefore, in Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 through 13, when the author writes this, he says, it, the message is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thought and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him in whom we must give account. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the message. I'm not ashamed of the message. I'm ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a powerful, powerful message. And the message includes what facts? Just very simply, we need to know what the message is. The message includes the fact that there is a sovereign God over all, He's created all, therefore, He is boss of all. And we, His creation, have rebelled against Him, willfully rebelled against Him. We've ascribed worth to other things, the creation over God. Therefore, we're guilty of sin and rebellion against our God. Therefore, the righteous wrath of God is storing up for us until the day of judgment, the final day of judgment, to where, unless God intervenes, that judgment will fall on us and we will perish for all eternity. But even though that is right for God to do because he is just, he's also loving, immensely loving. And what God does is in his love, he sends his substitute, his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, which means that he wasn't born with a sin nature like you and I, and he lives a full life, and he, unlike us, is obedient every way to the law of God. He fulfills the law by obeying every ounce of it while we break every ounce of it. And then he dies on a cross. What a story. 
He dies on the cross. It ends with him dying on the cross. But while he's on that cross, here's the key. The wrath of God pours out on him. He's placed in a tomb on the third day. He rises again. And why does he rise again? Because it demonstrates that the wrath that was pent up towards us who are sinners was then satisfied on the cross. That's what the resurrection declares. That is, in essence, the message. Here's the problem. The problem is there are so many who are not hearing that message. God's given us away. But there's so many that do not hear that message. Let me give you a few statistics. And these are pretty recent. Just got these off a couple websites. The International Mission Board website as well as the Joshua Project as well as other things. Let me give you just a few of them. It says there's an estimated 16,594 people groups in the world. Of those people groups, 7,162 of those are considered unreached. Now, let me explain what that means. That doesn't mean that they've just never repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. What it means is that less than 2% of, the, of that population of people group are believers in Jesus Christ. Why is that 2% significant? And I might be off on this, and, but, but, but I believe missiologists who study missions, who know this type of things, the experts, if you will, they have found through, through church history that when there is less than 2% of the population that are believers in Jesus Christ, they struggle to really propagate the gospel and to make a huge impact on the rest of that culture. But once it's at 2%, for whatever reason, once it's 2% or above, then they can have a, a strong impact upon their culture for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the propagation of the gospel. Let me give you some little bit different numbers here. This might be another way to look at it. There are approximately 7.03 billion people in the world. 2.87 billion are unreached. Now, understand something. By unreached, I don't mean that they're not believers. What I mean is they have little to no access at all to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we find is, it, it, so that's nearly 3 billion out of 7 million people with no access to that. Wycliffe Bible Translators tells us that there are about 6,800 living languages today. Of those, 2,000 of those languages have no Bible translations available to them. But even if we were able to translate all of those different languages, the Bible and all those different languages, 800 million adults within those unreached people groups are completely illiterate. Couldn't read even if the Bible was in front of them. To me, guys, I don't know about you, but there seems to be, I don't know whether to call it an imbalance or to call it an injustice. Jesus, in one of his parables, teaches about the parable of the lost sheep. And in the parable of the lost sheep, what we find happening is the man has 100 sheep, one goes astray, and he leaves the 99 to go for the one. And for whatever reason, the way that we do Christian ministry, we seem to be doing just the opposite of that. We say, don't care about the one. Just worry about the 99. Let me give you some statistics that demonstrate this. 90% of Christian missionary work is done among already reached people groups. There is one Christian worker per 350 people in the U.S. And one Christian worker per 4.8 million people in the Muslim world. Of every one dollar that is spent in Christian ministry, only one cent of that is used to spread the gospel to places that have no access to the gospel. I don't know if this term term is still right. I imagine that it 
possibly is, when I was in seminary, it was said that of all the money that is spent in the Christian world, that 90% of it is spent within the United States. 10% of all the rest of that money is spent through the rest of the world for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it stands now, listen to this, 40.9% of the world has little to no access to the gospel. That means that 40.9% of the world's population will be born, will live, and they will die without any possibility of ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's such a staggering figure, if you really will take a couple moments to reflect on it, that I think out of self-preservation, what you and I do is we begin to do hermeneutical and theological gymnastics. I know some of you are sitting in the ground. I don't know what those two words mean. So let me, let me, let, let's, let's do this. I think what we do is we simply say this. Well, since there are 40% of the world's population that has no access to the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, there must be another way for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm amazed about how many believers, how many even here right now as I'm talking about this, you believe the same thing. Because the way you reason is, well, listen, if they don't have it, how in the world can they ever be accountable for it? You say, if they don't have the gospel and reject the gospel, oh, don't we go to hell because we reject the gospel? No, we, we go to hell because we're sinners. And so what we find is this, and so we sit back and we tell ourselves, we said, well, maybe they just get a second chance. Maybe, I'm like, look, we hear the gospel, so we have no excuse. We are without excuse. We, we don't have an excuse. Well, the Bible says those even without the gospel are without excuse, Romans chapter 1. And so here's the idea. What we think is, well, maybe when they die, God has like a different group, that 40%, maybe they get a do-over. Like in kickball, they just get kind of a do-over. They never heard. Now, God, you know, in there, he's going to say, hey, look, you could either go into that hot place or you can go into with me for all eternity. Well, then they're just going to choose. If that's the case, if that's the way that God works, then the most incompassionate thing that we could possibly do is share the gospel with anybody. Let them die in their ignorance so they get a second chance. But the most loving thing that a loving father does is he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, starting in your backyard, starting in your family. And go to the uttermost parts of the earth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear there is only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be converted from an idolater to to a God worshiper. There's only one way for a person to begin to worship what was not intended to be worshipped, to worship and to live in their full purpose and gladness of the purpose of why they were created. And he says it in Romans chapter 10. Notice this verse 11. He says, for the scriptures says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Therefore, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, there's no distinction what kind of people group it is. Jew or Greek, everybody falls underneath those categories. It, we're all saved the same way, only one way, through faith in Jesus Christ. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Those who call on him will be saved, the scriptures say. Then this is what we find. He moves down and he says to this, Paul writes, How then will they call on him to whom they have not believed? I can't. How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? They can't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They can't. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? They can't. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
Beautiful are the feet of those who give and take the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing. Here's what we find in the word of God. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. But even the heavens cannot share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that there are angels in heaven, in the, home, the, the throne room of heaven, in which all they do is ascribe worth and value to God 24 hours a day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But angels do not share the gospel of Jesus Christ because they know nothing of redemption. God has reserved this privilege for the redeemed. He's reserved the privilege of you and I to propagate and share the gospel, the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ to those who do not have it. Before you get confused on this, please do not start feeling bad for God, okay? Don't sit back and start feeling bad for God and think, man, God really needs my help. He does not need you at all. He is completely and utterly self-sufficient to himself. If he wants the rocks to cry out, he will. He has given you, you and I, which oftentimes we run from, oftentimes we think is unfair, oftentimes we don't want anything to be a part of. He has given us the great privilege to join him in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world so that our God, who has saved us by grace, can re- receive the glory in which he is due. It is not a punishment. God has allowed us to be co-laborers with God. And there's only three responses. Piper brought it up. It's not original with him. There's three ways to respond to that radical going. Let's just all go. Man, that would be great. If we just all left and next Sunday there was no one here, that would be so cool. Okay, that's if we are going for the missions, okay? All right, no jokes here. All right. That would be awesome. Radical going, there's radical giving. I can't go. But I can radically give. I can live my life in such a way that the glory of God is bestowed on him. I can live in that way. And the third way is, only option, is just blatant disobedience. I will not do what you've created me to do. I will not do what you've saved me for. I'll be disobedient in this. The beautiful thing about this, and one of the things that motivates me, and I don't know if this is an okay, you guys are the experts here, you can tell me this. One of the great motivations for me, and this might be wrong, I know worship of God, and correct me later when we eat together, okay? But here's the deal, is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When the gospel is preached to all nations, there will be, as we see in Revelation chapter 7, 5, there's there's those passages in there, what we see is that one day, what was undone by sin will be made right side up. What was broken will now be completely fixed. What was broken will be completely renewed. We're a part. We get to work with God in part of that. And then people from every, every people group, every people group will worship and glorify God. What a great motivation that is. Here's some final thoughts. When you preach on something like this, it's very difficult. If I were to preach on uh, one week, I'm just going to, you know, repent at the end, but just preach the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, and, and I'm going to advertise it, and this place is going to be packed. When you begin to preach on the glory of God and all things for the glory of God, no matter what, 
there seems to be a lack of participation. There even seems to be kind of some stirring. So here, here's what I want you to kind of understand. There are several churches and pastors that I know that I say, brother, you've got to get on the missions board. It's not only about wish, ministering people here. It should naturally, we should naturally be sharing the gospel with the people where we are. And we are doing that. But churches will sit there and time and time again, they'll sit there and they go, hey, brother, we got that. But we just feel like God's called us really here. That's, that's a lie. He hasn't called you just here. He's called you here and there. It's not either or, it's both and. He's called you for everywhere to be able to plug in, to be able to send the gospel. But this is what Piper says again. I think this is great. He says, where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. In our church, I see an ebb and flow of zeal for missions. Sometimes during the Simply Live Month, we get all fired up, and then it begins to pale, begins to falter, begins to fall down all the times. The next time we're going around, it's like blowing the dust off again. Come on, guys, we could do it again. And my only answer for that is what he says, a passion for God is weak. Zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare his glory among the nations. So when we lack, and if we lack today, for a feverish desire for the glory of God. For his worth to be known and identified and recognized throughout the whole world. And if, we're not, if that's not happening enough, if we're not being driven in that, two things must be true. Number one, we've never tasted of his grace to begin with. We've never seen his glory in salvation. We've never, if that's you, hey, that salvation is there. It's free. Repent, turn from your sin, turn from your idol worship, and, and place your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Don't trust in yourself or anybody else. Just trust in him. He'll save you. Just call out to him. You don't have to talk to a preacher. Call out right where you are to him and he'll save you. But here's the other thing. And this is where I, I, I've struggled. I kind of broke down. I'm not going to break down this morning on this. But here's the other place. Is that I am practically living like an unbeliever oftentimes. I know that I am saved by grace through faith. I know, I know out of the goodness of God, I know that he's chosen me before the foundations of the earth, not because of anything I could give him or because I was good. I know all of that. I know that he saved me and he even gave me the blessing of living in a world where the gospel is constantly preached. I know that that is all a blessing to me. I, I know, I, I understand these things because the spirit of God now dwells within me. He lives inside of me and he empowers me to do, even though I fail many times because of my weak flesh, I I know each and every time, I know that he's leading me. I know that he's changing me. I know one day when I see him who is perfect, I too will be transformed into the perfection of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know that. But I struggle so much and I don't know if you do, but here's the application for me. The application is so oftentimes I worship the creation even as I'm preparing for a message like this, my heart so, I- so easily begins to stray and begins to value the stuff. Begins to value the stuff and, and even though my heart is there and I know God's grace is sufficient, there I am again. God, God, I haven't spoken to you, I haven't talked to you, I haven't led for you, I haven't thought about you. God, all I'm thinking about is this stuff. It's, it's about the job. It's, it's about the family. Yes, family can be God. It's about the money. It's about, it's about the next thing that I'm going to get. God, what do, I, what, do you, what do you do with that? Well, I think we do what we always do. Number one is we repent. We recognize it. We repent. We say, God, 
I know, I know I'm saved by grace through faith alone, and you're so good to me. Just continue to extend your grace to me again. Forgive me, Jesus. I, I, I'm off track once again. But here's, here's what has to happen. In eight years, I haven't been able to do this. I've seen parts of it. I've seen pieces of it. But here is my prayer, and I pray it's a prayer. But I have to begin with me. Here's the prayer. God, give me a radical desire for your glory. Help me to see every day your infinite worth and value above all things. I don't know what else to do. Help me, God. Show me, God. I know that what the word of God is saying is true. I know it's true. I know it is. Do you know it's true? Then why my heart constantly worshiping the created things and not the creator? I'm left asking, God, please, please, if my children go, send them, God. Will it be hard? Yes, send them. But let the glory of God and my desire for you to be glorified and all people's worshiping you because you deserve it be so much greater than my broken heart for my children. If I give this month and we give for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, help me within my heart. Let me die to my idolatrous heart and, and help me to love you infinitely above all of these things. That's where we're at in the invitation. That's, I, I don't know where else to go than that. And to plead for his mercy and to plead for his grace because this is what I pray for celebration. That when we're talking about missions and mission trips and sending money and sending people and sending them off to seminary and sending them on the mission field, it's not a, hey, let's get it fired up again. Let's, let's stoke the fires again. No. Because the fires of passion are already ablaze for the glory of God. Therefore, missions is just a means to an end. Jesus, we come and we just pray to you this morning.